This is Alejandro Escovedo, and I'm hanging out at Skipper's After Hours. And I'm going to just ask you to listen to 88.5 WMNF Tampa, Florida. It's the station that tells the truth and plays the truth. Peace. You are tuned to WMNF Radio 88.5 FM. This is public affairs program called Community Speaks. And I'm your host, Patro Mabili. We're going to continue some important conversation today on Community Speaks. We should be joined by the people who are hosting the upcoming criminal justice uh, summit, October 21st. Today, we focus more closely on the sentencing reform panel conditions in prison, and the system of probation. First, a news update. The justices, Supreme Court justices, rather, are taking the bench at the Supreme Court for the first time since late June. Their new term begins today with the ethics concerns swirling around the court. And the only case being argued today concerns the meaning of the word and in a federal law dealing with prison terms for low-level drug dealers. The length of thousands of sentences a year is at stake today, but federal courts across the country disagree about whether the word, as it is used in a bipartisan 2018 criminal justice overhaul, indeed means and or whether it means or. Even an appellate panel that appealed the longer sentence called the structure of the provision perplexing. The case requires the close parsing of a part of a federal statute, the First Step Act, which aimed in part to reduce mandatory minimum sentences and give judges more discretion. The First Step Act requires the Department of Justice to develop a risk and needs assessment system to be used by the Bureau of Prisons to assess the recidivism risk of an of all federal prisoners and to place prisoners in programs and productive activities to reduce this risk. Prisoners who successfully complete recidivism reduction programming and productive activities can earn additional time credits that will allow them to be placed in pre-release custody, which is home confinement or a residential re-entry center in whether or not they could be placed in this pre-release custody earlier than they were previously allowed. And we're going to talk more closely about that today. But also in other news, the, there are two scientists who have won the Nobel Prize in Medicine for discoveries that enabled the creation of messenger RNA vaccines against COVID-19. And that could be used to develop other shots in the future, Hungarian-American Caitlin Carrico and American Drew Weissman were cited for contributing vaccine development during what the panel that awarded the prize called one of the greatest threats to human health in modern times. The panel said the two scientists changed our understanding of how mRNA interacts with our immune system, simply injecting lab-grown RNA uh, mRNA into the body triggered an inflammatory reaction that usually destroyed it. 
But these two scientists figured out a tiny modification to the building blocks of RNA that made it stealthy enough to slip past those immune defenses. And why do our uh, mRNA vaccines matter? Well, one doctor, uh, Paul Hunter, he's a professor of medicine at Britain's University of East Anglia, uh, Anglia described the mRNA vaccine made by BioNTech and Pfizer in Moderna incorporated as a game changer in shutting down the coronavirus pandemic and crediting the shots with saving millions of lives. Before COVID-19, mRNA vaccines were already being tested for other diseases like Zika, influenza, and rabies, but the pandemic brought more attention to this approach, according to one of the awarded scientists. Uh, The COVID outbreak, though, gave real urgency to certain communities, such as the homeless, but especially the incarcerated. And we're going to pick up on some of that today. Keith Harris, I believe, is joining us here on Community Speaks, and he had an even more pressing concern for the incarcerated, which was air conditioning in prisons. And I'm also expected to be joined by Nathan Shate. I believe that's his name. You could correct me if I've butchered his name, but uh, Nathan and Keith. But Nathan is the executive director of Horizon Communities, in prisons. He also joins us on the phone today as we bring more voices coming together at the Tampa Prep School on October 21st at the Criminal Justice Summit. Uh, Nate and Keith, are you there with me? Yes, uh, I am. Nate, this is I'm Keith here. Harris. Okay, Keith Harris. Thank you for joining me. And I also hear Nate. Uh, uh, pronounce your last name, Nate, Nathan? You had a perfect mobility. It was it's Nate Shade. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> so the the two stories that I talked about earlier, I'll start with you, Keith. Uh, I was concerned about a captured population in the county jails and in the nation's prisons, uh, and I was concerned that these uh, populations would be susceptible to COVID. But you had an even more pressing concern, AC. It has been an issue in the schools, but also in prisons. And you will be part of the air conditioning panel at this summit. What have you seen, Keith? Well, thank you for having me on, Mr. Mobley. I appreciate this public platform and getting the message out to the public of what's going on inside our state prisons here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a former inmate who suffered the consequences of a wrongful conviction. My case is reported in the Florida law books if anyone wants to read about it. And since then, I've taken my education of being a paralegal. I work for a law firm in Fort Lauderdale. And I've been an advocate trying to get the prison reform for the past six years. I'll give you a little history about what we've done as advocacy groups and uh, where we think we're headed today. It's interesting that you brought up the COVID because COVID ran through the state prisons like wildfire. It even took the lives of staff members uh, that ran the prisons here in the state, amongst other people, the inmates. But the pressing issue now has become that why do we want to air condition the state prisons, and what are we up against? Well, we start off with the fact that last year, State Representative Diane Hart did sponsor a bill under House Bill 357, 
And in that bill, basic rights of inmates included proper ventilation and potentially getting to having the state prisons air condition. Since then, it has been re-advocated by a lady by the name of Connie Edson, which I may be, uh, hopefully, is calling in today. She's done a wonderful job of bringing this back to the attention of the legislators. Uh, and Mrs. Hart will be refiling it as well. But I think overall what we have to concentrate on now is getting the misperception of why do we need the prison's air condition. Number one, we start off with the security of the staff that works there. We want them to be completely safe at their job of the care, custody, and control of our state prison. So that is important. Yeah. Number two is the inmates themselves. Ninety percent of inmates in the state of Florida will be released from prisons one day. We certainly don't want people to go through years and years of torture of having to live in the prison where the summer comes and for four months they endure awful, terrible conditions inside their cells, locked in, uh, reportedly with temperatures exceeding over 100 degrees. It's unimaginable having to live like that, sitting in a full jump seat uniform uh, and experiencing the incredible amount of mental displeasure that a person goes through. I myself have lived through that. It brings back bad memories. Yeah. Last year, we were, or two years ago, I think it's been, we were able to convince the Department of Corrections to start a pilot program. They attempted to remedy this on a very cost-effective way by installing portable air uh, circulators, air coolers. This didn't work out, primarily because the majority of the state prisons today are ancient. They're primitive. And so to have the cost-effective means to go in and restructure them is very difficult. However, there are ways to do it today through simple engineering reconstruction. Um, and the misconception is that we don't want to be soft on crime. We don't want to be soft on criminals. That's a horrible thing to think about because over 60 years ago in this country, the United States Supreme Court said that we don't send people to prison to continue to punish them while we're in prison. It's the punishment itself is there by sending them to prison. So we have to get away from the fear-mongering, the law enforcement saying we don't want to be soft on crime. It's not about being soft on crime. This is a public safety issue. This is a public health issue. And it turns into uh, problems inside the prisons. You can imagine dormitories that house 200 inmates that are walking around in oven-like temperatures, friction, anger, hostility. And so the staff has to deal with this. So uh, this year, the legislators, we believe, have agreed to a bill that I have proposed to uh, become part of the legislative process this year on criminal justice reform to at least install proper ventilation, air conditioning, and an environment that safely provides for both the inmates and the staff. Uh, we look at the, um, the public health issue about this. We know that hospitals keep their hospitals at cool temperatures all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, this seems to reduce germs and virus and uh, maintains a sanitary way of living. Um, so our efforts today are being directed towards the legislators to put this into law. And uh, there are simple ways to start addressing it. We think that if the Department of Corrections could just simply take one prison at a time and start the process, using money that is available, 
that's been funded or even obtain federal grants that are available to provide safe and humane conditions, our society can move towards these ideals and philosophies of wanting to live in civility. Like I said earlier, we don't want people to come out of prison that have suffered for years in there and then be our neighbors and have horrible dispositions about themselves. This concentrates on a bigger umbrella of recidivism. We talk about fighting recidivism so that people are finding a way to rehabilitate while they're in and come out as a better person. Air conditioning is the groundwork to start this process. I think we're going to have some callers come in. I'd like to talk a lot more. I know we're limited on time. I hope I've opened the door for the possibilities of more people getting involved. Uh, and I certainly appreciate you taking the time to let us speak on that. Certainly. And, yeah, you you said a lot that got our, uh, our minds thinking on this. And I, you mentioned the name Connie. Connie is joining us from Orlando. Is this the Connie he invoked? Yes. Hello. Hello. So Hello. he talked about a bill that talks about yeah. air conditioning and, and better conditions. I would think this is a human rights issue, Connie, and I would also think that the staff, more than anybody, would want this. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I just want to give you a, a brief um, overview of how this actually all got started. Um, about three years ago, when a loved one of mine um, went to uh, the largest state prison in Ocala and called and said there's no air conditioning, I'm like, what? And then come to find out mostly all of our Florida state prisons are without air conditioning, which in this day and age is unheard of. Long story short, I've been working for about three years to find a viable solution. I feel that the Florida Department of Corrections does want to work and get things situated, but without funding or solutions, they're not going to take the time to do it. So with that being said, um, I had reached out to Representative Hinson, who is based uh, in Ocala, and she got a demonstration done with portable air units uh, to start a pilot program at Lowell Correctional Institution in Ocala. And the pilot program is consisting for the older facilities and the newer ones. Long story short, the newer ones are just like our houses. They have air vents in it. However, because of the facilities being so uh, not maintained, their roofs and things like that needed all to be fixed. And now they're starting to put air conditioning on top of the roof. They just completed Lottie, a men's facility, um, just recently. And you have to say, well, if they're doing that at one or two, why can't they do it to the newer facilities across the board? Well, the problem is there is no funding. And it's not the Department of Corrections' fault, it's the legislators' fault mm. because the legislators deem what they're going to do with it. So a lot of advocates this year, um, we worked very hard to get money released from a fund called the Annual Inmate Trust Fund. Now, this fund is solely made up from inmates and their families. Mm. Not a dime is from taxpayers. So, I don't know, in my book, you know, I shouldn't have to beg for that money. But, you know, I had to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, you have to let the legislators know and you want funding for AC, blah, blah, blah. Well, long story short, session was over. And it was great because they did allow us more money, like $28 more million, But they put that towards program. Now, unfortunately, we're 4,000 correctional officers short. Volunteers don't want to work in a facility with no air conditioning. So unless we fix our facilities, the base route, 
that money for programs is just going to sit in that fund until next year where it goes back into the fund. So what we're trying to do right now, I think our main goal is, you know, we want to keep the legislators on board with this pilot program, which they are, I'll be honest with you, a lot of them have been amazing. I want to say that Representative um, Angie Nixon is going to be backing a bill um, making sure that landlords and, you know, people who have rentals are guaranteed air conditioner as well as the Florida Department of Correction guaranteeing that our loved ones have air conditioning in the state prison. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an exciting time. It's the, it's the furthest we've ever gotten. Um, Keith has been great doing the language and working with the legislators. Um, we've got a village of women and men that we do nothing but do this because we just know what's right and what's wrong, whether it's our loved one or not. It's, it, whether your loved one gets out, you still never forget, and you still have to keep going because there's just too many people in there forgotten, and we we can't forget them. So. Right. And, and Keith, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, Keith, uh, what about the issue of mold? If there's no AC and all of this heat in a captured place, uh, is there mold in the issue? And that's something that people will be uh, subjected to even after the, uh, the condition they have to deal with, even after they get out. Sure. Right. Well, yeah, can mold, mold has become could, a very serious issue. Right. Right. And uh, that's why the portable I'm air sorry. units weren't working. I'm sorry, Keith. <laughs> I hear you, Connie. It's, it's, a, it's, a contributing, it's a contributing issue to the public health, and that's why we're saying that this has become a public health issue. It's no longer a uh, we don't want criminals to go to prison and have swimming pools and, you know, luxury. It's not about that. There's, there's no luxury in a prison when we're having people suffer. And all of this comes to a great spectrum of this is a resolution that will help everyone. It's not limited to being soft on crime. This is not soft on crime. If we want people to come out and not recidivate, we've got to do things as basic as human rights violations and correct these things. Air conditioning will solve a multitude of problems. Yeah. Connie, you wanted to add? Yes. Well, yeah, that's why, you know, this pilot program for the, for the older facilities, that's where this comes into play. They're trying different solutions um, right now before they were doing the portable air units like swamp units but it wasn't working in a dorm like setting so now they're going to be looking at hopefully split mini air units where they can put them right in the ceilings um, the outside have cages around them, and it works out the whole mold problem that's they were having mm. a mold issue with the swamp units but that's what a key that they're looking at with the older facilities but again the newer facilities can be done Right now, we have the funding. And that's funding that you said you had to beg for, even though it was money raised from families. Right. Right. It's the annual inmate trust fund. It's a a legislative law put back into effect back in 1998 when a new secretary came into effect. A law came into effect as well because the DOC was seeing a fluctuation of money from canteens from JPay, um, and they didn't know what to do with it. So legislation said, well, we better, you know, watch where it's going. They decided to give the DOC $2.6 million every year to keep up upkeep and stuff like that. But if you look at the time frame, 1998, 
you know, we were in a lull right then. We didn't have climate um, climate control happening. Uh, we were still in floppy disks as far as electronics. You know, pretty much everything was at copacetic. So the DOC was getting $2.6 million and there was a secretary named James Crosby who took into effect, and he saw all this money. Long story short, that's when the whole story about the good old boys started to come into effect, where money started trickling down into brothels and gambling. Uh, and so James Crosby was finally indicted in 2003, went to prison, but the, but the legislators, legislators were very embarrassed about the whole situation and decided to pull that $2.6 million in 2003. So now, I, I just wanted to add one thing to this, uh, if I thought was very important. Out of all the state prisons that we have in Florida, the private prisons, or six of them, are all air conditioned. And in all of the state facilities, all of the places that the staff work are air conditioned. But the hmm. living and the housing units, which are the most important, are not. That's what I was afraid. That's what I was wondering. The staff, you say in the in the state prisons, the staff area are air conditioned, and in the private prisons, they're air conditioned. Correct. Right. Right. So, well, back well, then, let me just let me, throw me throw finish that story, quick. though. But in 2003, uh, mind, when they pulled the, the 2.6 million, they dropped giving the, the DOC any money. So, from outside. 2003, <laughs> so, the DOC um, a lot of the 2020 did not get a dime of money. They're controlling movement. They're controlling people going to the rec yard, people going to canteen, people going to the chow hall, those types of things. They do not have access to any air conditioning. They, they might have a fan if they're lucky. Um, our organization has been able to provide some fans from time to time at some of the institutions that we're at, which has helped. We're trying to find ways to even incorporate just a small, some sort of uh, shelter that would provide shade for some of them that are standing outside. For those that are outside working, especially in a short-staffed uh, arena, they're often the ones that are being called to go into the places where the men and women are sleeping and do the count. Uh, so they, they walk from outside being in, you know, 100, 115 degree heat mm-hmm. to then going inside and trying to count, which, you know, your, your mind is not working all that well, uh, sometimes. And so count sometimes miss, but they're doing the best they can. They don't get a break. They don't get to stand up inside the, we call them the bubble or the officer station where it is air conditioned. A lot of times they walk from the heat into a hot living area and then back out into the heat again after doing that, that job. And there's no break for them whatsoever. I, I've even mentioned, you know, we go to Universal Studios, you go to Legoland, uh, Disney, those places, they have those fans that stand outside with the, you know, the mister that's kind of blowing air and, and cool water. Officers could use that. You know, that wouldn't be anything other than pouring some concrete, running the, uh, the water and, and some electric Simple thing. There, are, there are ways that we can take care of some of this. Hey, that's Nathan, right? Yes, sir. I go by Nate mostly, but <clears throat> okay, I'll, I'll answer. Nate. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. And uh, you are your organization is responsible. You're the executive director of Horizon Communities and Prisons, and your organization is responsible for the uh, upcoming summit on criminal justice 
So correct. So we have uh, our organization started back in 1999 uh, at Tomoka Correctional Institution in Daytona Beach, Florida. We are presently now we're really six institutions and serve just about just over 2,000 men and women uh, each year. Uh, our recidivism rates just over five percent in that amount of time that we've been operating and. One of the things that we offer is that we try to put air conditioning into the day room where the men and women do their education part. We take the day room that's normally set up for with benches and a TV. We remove all that. We put a computer lab in. We put in. Uh, we do have TVs in different parts of the of the dorm, and we teach basic life skills how to how to uh, maintain a budget, how to do a resume, how to do a job interview, how to keep a job. Um, basic life skills that sometimes people don't have uh, or haven't been given access to in the past. We also teach some uh, things like restorative justice, uh, which is a panel that we'll be having. We teach conscious discipline, which is um, pretty much teaching people how to handle their emotions and not just act upon an emotion they receive. Right. And it's amazing when we teach these types of classes in an air-conditioned environment, the the way that they're able to receive and utilize uh, these skills, often they come up and just, if I had known this, I probably wouldn't be in prison today. And so, which is probably why our recidivism rate is so, so low. People yeah. have the opportunity to sit and experience these types of training, these types of tools, and they're tools. It's what we give them. We give them tools. The, the, the main idea of Horizon is we we set up every eight people into a family. The families make up the community, and then we give them the ability to, you're placed into a, a family that you would never be a part of and a community that you would never choose to live in so that when you walk out of here and you go back to the family that God put you in, you'll be able to succeed there and also in the community that you choose to now be a, a, a partner with. Uh, one, that's uh, Nate Shade, Horizon uh, Communities, Prisons, and we're also joined on the telephone by Keith Harris and Connie uh, talking about a build, air conditioning, the air conditioning prisons, prisons, and we're also going to be joined on the telephone by another panelist after this break we have to take a short break if you can all stick with me and um, of course we'll be right back you can also join us by calling in 813-239-9663 talking about the prison justice uh, summit or uh, the criminal justice summit that is coming up October 21st here in Tampa keep it tuned quality programming on air and quality air in our lungs and cities by choosing a greener vehicle and donating your heavy emitter to WMNF. We make donating easy and the pickup is free. WMNFcar.org has more.
You are tuned to Community Speaks here on WMNF Radio 88.5. My name is Patron Mabili, joined on the telephone by panelists for Criminal Justice Summit. Coming up in Tampa, Keith Harris, Neshade, Connie, and now Josh Montero joins us on the telephone. Josh is uh, going to be on the panel, and he's talking also about supervision, uh, supervision and probation. Thank you, Josh, for joining us here on Community Speaks. I don't know if you can hear me. Josh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Thank you, Josh, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, you're also going to be on the panel. You're talking about the issues of community supervision and probation because as all the panelists have acknowledged that, you know, people who are in prison right now who's will be coming home back to their communities and the conditions inside prisons will inform just how much uh, habilitation, rehabilitation has taken place. Josh, could you talk further about what people experience when they come out of prisons? Well, I think, uh, actually, I was one on one of these panels before, and I think the biggest thing uh, was eye-opening to me was there was a gentleman that spoke about during his first day him being out of prison, he didn't feel like he could leave his house. Uh, he would stare outside the window and kind of be like, okay for me to actually go out with the public. And he said his first venture, he would only go out for a couple blocks and feel like something is going to go wrong and just go right back home. And it took him like progressively steps to finally be able to, he said he finally I made it to the park side of the street. And I finally made it out and I started going to different stores and stuff and finally felt comfortable uh, being out in society. And that was so eye-opening to me, especially as an attorney, because we usually, as attorneys, we handle the case on the front end and we hope for the best result that they are set free, but obviously there are plenty that are not. And <laughs> when they return home, we usually don't hear from them again unless they get in some kind of trouble. Mm-hmm. So that was the kind of uh, eye-opening to me to see that process that you feel kind of cage, even though you're not going to cage. The summit is going to, uh, I guess for some, include a re-entry simulator. So this is a, a simulation of the life of someone who's returning from prison. I think what you say, Josh, about what sounds like almost shell-shocked a person feels when they come out of prison and uh, this simulator would give people some idea I believe of how uh, what life is like what the mindset is like once someone gets out of prison but I'm also interested in this whole idea of using teenagers and young people to commit crimes because they'll get lesser sentences what do you um, it's pretty clear that's going to mess up their lives at some point uh, and get them engaged or keep them in, in involved in criminal activity because they've been uh, they've been taught to do so by someone who they trusted and this uh, begins the whole process and a lot of people are wondering how do we counter this kind of thinking Josh the counter the, the, the juveniles being used. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's difficult, right? And, and I'll tell you honestly, myself, I'm, I'm originally from Massachusetts and I, and I grew up in the neighborhood that wasn't the greatest 
the start uh, of my life. And luckily, I, I saw people in, not necessarily in my life, but people around me who were doing better or who was out there doing wrong and would, would stop and talk to us and be like, look, you guys are kind of smart. There's my, a good friend of mine and I that always hung out together and want to do some of the bad stuff and somebody would stop us was actually part of it and say, I don't think you guys are good for this world. Uh, it's hard. I, I started as a public defender here in Hillsboro, and they put us through training, and the very first cases we stopped to handle are actually juvenile cases. And you do, you see these kids that are just in this world, and, and they're lost because they don't have the father figure. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the actual father, but just anybody that's willing to step up and just talk to these kids and tell them there's something else out there that they can do. And he always used to amaze me because we'd have to interview them before they went to court. And one of the last questions we'd have to ask them is, what do you want to do in the future? And nine times out of ten, at that time, and I think it's still kind of popular now, every single one of them wanted to be put in black. Or you'd get the one or two that wanted to play basketball or football. But if you put more people in front of them that are doing other things, that are successful, who have stories like mine that have been there, have done some of this wrong and have found a way out of it, I think that's the way they start to see that this is not the only life. Yeah. You definitely need some positive reinforcement to counter that. We're going to be joined on the... Uh uh, we are joined on the telephone by panelists from the Criminal Justice Summit. And uh, we can also take your telephone calls. You can call me at 813-239-9663. You can also write at WMNF, DJ at WMNF.org. Have Connie from Tampa joining us here on Community Speaks. Go ahead, Connie. You say what? Hello? Oh, hey there. Okay, this is Connie from Orlando. Apparently, I can't get Connie from Tampa on the phone right now. So we'll keep on. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's Connie from Orlando, and I talked about the air conditioning. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one one more thing, uh, yeah. Connie. Uh, one of our writers asked a very good question. Do you Can you speak to how often there are heat-related deaths from heat stroke, et cetera, in Florida prisons? You know what? The... Unfortunately, you can't get that information. Uh, they say, you know, it's just natural causes. So unless somebody, you know, there's no way to get that. And they, I don't think they ever put that in there that it's uh, heat related. But I do know, well, you know, <clears throat> I do know that there's, there have, there's uh, wall, you know, temperatures. And I have been told that it reaches, reaches 110 degrees in there in the summer. Just remember, when it's 99 where we are, 95, it's 15 degrees hotter in there. Wow. Well, there, there, I, I could answer that a little bit. Kate? Um, mm -hmm. The Department of Corrections does provide a mortality table on their website. However, when these deaths do happen, and there are heat-related deaths, they have happened here in the state of Florida, they've happened in other prisons in the country, uh, it goes into the FDLE investigation, so the records are not readily available to anyone until that investigation is done. Um, but we do know of some cases where inmates have died because of heat-related. They do uh, determine them sometimes to be natural. They don't use the terms until you find the autopsy report and get to read it. It does happen. Hmm. Wow. So... Um Josh, uh, 
what about that? Uh, do you see any uh, families complaining about the conditions inside prisons and how that impacts the, their loved ones once they get out? All the time. We get in a sad, we get the calls from family members whose, you know, significant others or husband, wife, whatever, has gone up. And actually, uh, Orlando is one of the most egregious ones uh, that I've had because when a person says it's the prison, sometimes they don't go directly to the prison. They may stay a little bit in the jail that they're at, then they get sent to like a transitional uh, prison, which finally assigns them to their, their final destination. And that transitional for a lot of my clients here in Tampa is actually Orlando. And there are some conditions in Orlando for whatever reason. And most of these prisons where inmates are being abused, whether it be by other inmates, by even some of the deputies. And so they're coming back home uh, on top of it. Like we already had the shell shock, but now you have some PTSD on top of it and maybe some permanent injuries from, from these situations. And, and there are some deaths that happen soon in jail. It's just, it adds on, which we kind of were talking about the juveniles. Again, now you have these members of families that are no longer in the family because they passed away or no longer can contribute to the family because they are so uh, mentally disturbed that they don't, they're not able to uh, function correctly in society. Wow. So, the, uh, Nate, the quality of life, and uh, I'm certain that's something that you have to you contend with on a on a regular basis, people who are coming out, you have to deal with families, you have to deal with with juveniles who have been misdirected, right? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Josh makes a great point on, you know, the difference between having a parent that is out here in the real world uh, trying to take care of their kid versus someone who's incarcerated. We had, again, we teach conscious discipline with a lot of our um the people that are under our care. We had a situation where there was a, a woman at Lowell. Her uh, child was, I think, six years old and was refusing to go to school and was causing issues. Uh, you know, she's being raised by her grandmother, and her grandmother just didn't know what to do. Um, beautiful thing about what we were able to work with her on is she was able to sit with her child and start having conversations about what at school is successful to you. Like, are there things that we were able to bring up things that your, her child was doing during the school day and getting to a point where, you know, tonight, whenever we get on the phone together, we're going to talk about this. And so make sure you get to school and learn all this so that whenever you get home, you can tell me about it. So something where it would normally be punitive, where we would start to try to find ways to punish this child or take things away from them if they're not going to school and those types of things. Instead, we were trying to find a positive direction to point this kid so that whenever she did go to school and she finished that school day, when she got on the phone with her mom, she was able to have a great conversation about the things that they were learning. And now they're building a great connection. And not only that, but the mom is learning skills herself that we don't have to go into a punitive direction to try to punish, punish, punish. Instead, let's have people think. Let's have people create. Let's have people use the part of their brain that is going to direct them and, and break the cycle. Uh, for me, my whole purpose of living, I'm trying to work myself out of a job. You know, I, I, want, I want people to succeed in a way that I'm not needed anymore and then try to find something else that's broken, try to fix this. Um, and so when we see 
the, the various structures where people were, you know, we, we just started, we're, we're trying to uh, develop a community up in Greenville, Florida, where we have a property about 14 acres. We're trying to put low-income housing and, and jobs there. While we are at 5% uh, recidivism rate, and I, and while that looks successful to a lot of people, I'm you know, I'm I'm full of Alexander Hamilton. I'm still I'm I'm not satisfied. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I'll never be satisfied. I want perfection, even if it can't be reached. I at least want to be trying to get there. And so, if housing and and jobs is one of the things that are keeping people uh, coming back to prison, well then we, let's find that solution. And you know, for a lot of one one thing that we miss a lot of when we're trying to do this air conditioning, when we're trying to do these computers and, and training, I have a lot of churches that give to our organization. And some of the air-conditioned units, some of the air-conditioned uh, computer labs and the computers we have have been donated. Um, it just makes me wonder sometimes how much we rely on legislative funds when the community, if it really got involved and really saw what was out there, if we, if we could get more people in the gate to volunteer and be a part of this uh, community, we would be able to see solutions. And that's that's a big reason of why we have the summit. Um, for anybody that goes on the HorizonCuties.org, you'll be able to see the tickets for it on Friday, the simulator. It's to, it's to give people an idea of empathy. Uh, it, when people are coming out, we don't always see the issues that they have and that's why we have the panel, the reentry panel that's going to be there. We actually have someone, uh, Mr. Mahoney from the Florida Department of Corrections, who works tirelessly. Uh, this man puts in more hours than he probably gets paid for to try to find ways to have those that are coming out of prison succeed. Um, and so I'm looking forward to him being on the panel and the many others that are going to be at, uh, it. It's just eye-opening. And the panel, will, the, the reentry simulator will run twice on Friday. And so that's going to kind of lead up to Saturday, the summit. Uh, but the summit's there. We're trying to find solutions. We're, we have these tough, difficult conversations because we want solutions. So we invite both sides of the aisle. We try to keep it from being political and look at it as a human rights issue. And let's see what we can do to fix something that we see has been broken um, and just realize that we're not okay with, with the status quo. Good. Yeah, and, and Josh, uh, it sounds like something might be going on with your line. But one last thing before we go, uh, just pick up on what Nate was just saying. He talks about the 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 extended family getting benefited benefiting from the uh, programs uh, during and after prison. Uh, how do you think that? is going from people you've heard from, especially those who've come out of Orlando to Tampa? Well, honestly, I didn't know that they had those programs where the parents could still stay in communication with them with how to communicate with the children. I, can, I cannot imagine how difficult that has to be to have to talk to your child and try to instill any kind of discipline, whether it be punishment or just, um, you know, coddle them along to help them get to school while you're sitting in prison, right? what kid really is going to listen. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my, part of my, my panel is the probation program. And I think while probation is, can be great to avoid some of those, it's also something that needs to be fixed as well, too, because probation 
Program is not the greatest. Yeah, let's talk further about that, the probation program, because this is a another way of watching people. And I've heard people say that this really gets them caught up further in the system because any accusation, whether you did something or not during probation, you can still get violated. So my, my favorite thing to tell my clients when they're so ready to take probation is probation is a layaway program to prison. Hmm. You have a case, a lot of times we'll have cases that can actually be won if the client is patient. The problem is, is a lot of these clients are sitting in jail, and they want whatever it is to get them that jail to free from. So they're willing to plead to something that there wasn't a lot of evidence, or sometimes something they didn't even do, but just not patient. But now you're in this program where you have to report everything. You have to have a curfew. You, if you're a medical marijuana holder, you can't smoke marijuana. You can't drink, you can't go to the club, you can't associate. It just piles on all the things that you can't. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, when you're trying to go to work, you're trying to take care of kids, you're trying to pay the bills, you're trying to do all of this, some of these things, and yet you're violating. And then you're violating, you're sitting in, in jail for two weeks before you see a child. And now you come up, and that first violation, they might let you go. But another one will come. By the second one, your points pile up. Florida has this point system that was supposed to stop people from arbitrarily going to prison. Doesn't really work that well, but those points pile up, and before you know it, somebody who was never guilty in the first place is now sitting in prison because a probation violation hearing is nothing like a actual trial. Actual trial, the the standard is reasonable doubt. That's not the standard of probation violation. Actual trial, you have a jury. That's not what you have in probation violation. You just have a judge saying you violated. I believe you violated. You're gone. And so you just pretty much left up to the wishes and the whims of a judge somewhere. Josh, I want to thank you for joining us here on the line. We're going to go ahead and release this particular line, but you made some very important points, Josh Montero, and uh, we're looking forward to this panel on probation. Thank you, Josh. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me again. 813-239-9663 is the number to call. We have one caller on the line. I'm going to bring John from Palmetto on to Community Speaks. Go ahead, John. You say what? I, I say if you want to start getting uh, rid of, I mean, or not, take a comb to all these problems. Stop any uh, representative, any senator, state, getting money from the private prisons and the health care industry that takes care of Because the health care industry for the prison uh, goes into the tens of hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, I mean just to take it. As well as the uh, the facilities themselves, these guys—it's like mailbox money to these guys. So most of the Republicans are all receiving money. Uh, you know, I remember uh, when I wrote a couple of pieces uh, ten years ago. Rubio is receiving fifty and sixty thousand dollars any time he ran just from one of them. You know, and, and that's what it is. That they're all—it's the only game they can play where they appear to share the same interests. With people, but it, to them, it's, they don't want. They want to hold on to them. They want every time they uh, another one goes to jail, they uh, you know, they they find say they send them to, to the uh, G G O and C C A and and these companies. They they uh, they boost up the check they give them for their next the, the election. So you know, I think it's, it's to end this. A good coach for this would be. To really go the opposite direction with, with, with what they're trying to propose and, and redevelop and reorganize and just take a whole new look 
at the whole industry because it's not operating well at all. I mean, and it goes on and on and on. It helps uh, a lot of these prosecutors are crooked because the money's there, you know, and, and, and so when they get up, when they, when they have a 90% uh, a, a win, they, uh, these giant law firms, you know, give them double the money. <laughs> so it, it's all connected. you got to take the money out of it. You yeah. know, and, and I say that by, you need to put it in there. Send a lot of these people home because they made one little mistake. Hey, any, any representative that violates their oath, same thing. They must go to jail. They, they, they have, make them insist that they go to jail, along with the Supreme Court uh, judges too, because they're lying. They're lying. They're saying they didn't know what their oath was. Or, you know, come on. But yeah. Anyway, thanks. Thank you, John from Palmdale, Connie, uh, and Nate. Nate, you say you want to try to keep it not from being political, but. It's hard not to recognize the politics once you follow the money. And Connie, we know that, you know, there will probably be more money for this program, especially the money for air conditioning the prisons and giving better conditions if it wasn't so much money in politics. Swallow the money. Right. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I do know that that's a, a big part of it. And while I wish there was a cure for some of those things, um, I know that that's probably not something that's going to go away anytime soon. I know for my wife and I, we made pretty close to three times more money than I'm making right now. Um, you know, <laughs> the degrees that I have and the work that I've done in my past and being a full-time nurse, we, we made a lot of money. And um, she quit that, and I quit what I was doing, and I do this full-time, mainly because everything else was empty. And so for me, money will always leave you empty. Uh, but whenever you change people's lives, you'll you'll recognize that that was a better path. And so while I can't while I can't make people <laughs> live the way that that I am, um, there are things where I have watched. Uh, for instance, Stetson University. Stetson University goes into Tomoka Correctional Institution and teaches a, a horticultural program. Uh, this horticultural program uh, is free to the inmates. The the college has uh, given them credit hours. Uh, for this, the alumni voted on that. The uh, program itself has received grants, and the the men that are taking these classes are able to eat the food that they're growing. Um, mm-hmm. We've watched their health improve. We've watched the 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 violence uh, at the institution decline. And let's you know just be completely honest. That means that they're not going to the medical as often. You know, and so. Uh, that's less money to be made by the the pharmaceuticals and, and companies out there that are just going to give them pills to try to take care of their uh, ailments. Instead, we're finding out that just the you know the fresh greens and everything that they're growing there is taking care of that. Uh, on the other hand, you see organizations like Geo Group that you know again they they do they they're making money. There's money to be made. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if we don't shut the doors. If, if we can, if we can open the back door and close the front one, by getting people more involved in the communities, by getting, if we could get the money invested in our communities, and uh, Senator, well, former Senator Brandis and, and uh, Senator Pizzo and Senator uh, Perry have all talked about the, the idea of being a neighbor. Um, you know, in, in America, we sit here and we hold on to this individualistic uh, reasoning. 
whereas uh, the the Descartes uh, type of mentality, I think, therefore I am. Whereas mm-hmm. in a lot of countries in Africa, it's I am because we are. Right, right. And so we can get to that point where I am because we are, and we start to care for the widow, the orphan, the the downcast, the you know. Maybe. We can make that change, and right. when we start shutting that front door, uh, entering people into prison because we're caring for our neighbors, instead of just arresting everybody that we're mad at, hmm. um, the idea of do they need to be in prison or not? Um, are we mad at them or are we afraid of them? If we're afraid of them, maybe they need to be in prison. But if we're just mad at them, that's, that's why we have the restorative justice panel at this summit. Uh, restorative justice. It doesn't take away the punishment. Um, it, it adds clarity to the path that has led to the crime, and it puts the victims and the offender together to try to find resolve. And it's a beautiful process. It's difficult. It's hard. But at the end of it, people will find freedom. And, you know, there still might be some type of punishment, uh, some type of retribution that has to be made. Um, we, we don't take that away, but we do have answers at the end of the day. Why did this happen? Will it happen again? Do I need to be in fear or was I just upset? And now we can move on. And those types of things need to happen to shut down the prison. All right. That's uh, inspirational. Uh, Connie and uh, yes. Keith. Mm-hmm. I, I, is there any way, um, I, you know, to what Nate is saying about um, yes. with farming and food and things like that, it's, not funny enough, but before COVID started, I reached out to, because um, I did a lot of research, and I saw that um, a lot of the um, facilities did have, um, um, you know, the farms already, um, you know, uh, in place. Mm-hmm. One at Lowell, in Ocala, um, a few other ones, and a lot of the wardens were um, wardens for the sustainable farming. So I reached out to, believe it or not, um, uh, USF, not USF, FSU, and um, because they have a whole sustainable program there, there and you know with farming, and I met with them. He said, you know what, we would totally could pair up with the Florida Department of Corrections because what's so great about our school is we're in every county and every you know in every community. So um, they are definitely willing to um, maybe partner up. I think I think if you bring ideas to the Florida Department of Corrections, you know kind of like the air conditioning or, you know, other ideas. I think they're willing to maybe look at them. I don't think they're going to go out and and seek it, but they've already had this before in place. Why don't we bring something like this in where we can feed our loved ones? But not only that, we can teach them to have a purpose, to have a degree, something when they get out, they can take care of their families, but also give them, again, a purpose to, you know, have many years ahead of them and also maybe even feed the homeless in their area mm-hmm. you know, the opportunities 